current oppressor, who was the king of Canaan and the commander of his army. His name was Sisera. So the last time we were in Judges, we, we heard how Deborah, through Barak, and God through Deborah, through Barak, um, defeated these 900 chariots of iron that Sisera had. This totally overpowered army, Israel was able, able to overtake them and overcome them. And how Sisera, the commander of this army, was running away from the battle, and he went to the wrong tent, and he ended up with a really bad headache, to say the least. We'll talk some more about this. So right after the victory in our text, victory's over, and Deborah turns and she, uh, composes and somehow sings this song with uh, Barak together. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today and hearing is God's word through this song of Deborah. And we're going to do things a little bit differently. Instead of reading the whole thing up front like we usually do and going through, we're going to read through it little by little and just stop and pause along the way and see what is going on. So let's read verses 1 through 11 to start, okay? This is God's word to his people. Let's give attention to this. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on, the, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped water. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shagmar, son of Manasseh, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So, so Deborah's talking about how things were, how terrible they all were, until God sent her this deliverer. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gate. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places, there they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. As we have just read and we'll continue to read this text, let's pray and ask God to help us. Um, Father, this is a um, unique text, and there's a lot of hard stuff in here to understand and to apply, and we can't do any of this. We need you to do it. Would you uh, help us to hear and understand and apply this to our hearts? And would you send us out into this world to be a gift to your church in this dying world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So after college, I lived in Korea for eight years. It was really fun. And um, I guarantee if, if you're ever in Korea with me now, somehow me and you ended up in Korea, I'm going to be I'm begging you to come to the Jimjobang with me. Does anybody know what a Jimjobang is? Maybe one or two people? Um, well, when I asked my coworker, like when I was back, back in Korea, I asked her, what is this Jimjobang thing? This is how she said. She said that uh, you put on your uniform, you read comic books, and there are different rooms you go in, and you eat baked eggs, and maybe if you want, you can get a massage. And I was like, what, the, what does that mean? <laughs> Made no sense to me. Um, but then I asked some more questions, and it turns out there's also this huge sauna area, usually in the bottom of these things, and you get separated. Men go to this one, and women go to this one. 
and you get naked in front, in, in, in front of a bunch of other strangers, and you take a shower, and you relax, and you go in the hot sauna, and the cold sauna, the hot baths, and the cold baths, and that was a little too much for me, I thought, um, and I never thought too much of Ginger Lawrence until one of my friends, like, invited me and then, like, begged me to come along with him to this Ginger Bong. So I agreed reluctantly, and I had an amazing experience. Ginger Bongs are the best. Y'all. We are missing out so much in America because we don't have Ginger Bongs and saunas like this. I ended up going to Ginger Bongs and sauna. I used to, ended up going there twice a week and every week for the rest of my time in Korea. We are missing out in America. We think America is the greatest. Nah, not really. Uh, <laughs> um, so after that, I begged, you know, so many of my foreigner friends, my Western friends, to come join me in the ginger bongs. And I found that there are two types of people in the world. There's people that are up for it or can, will go reluctantly like I am. And then there are other people who would die than go be naked in front of a bunch of strangers <laughs> in the public sauna. There's nothing I can do and there's nothing I can say to convince them to come to the sauna with me. It's so much fun. It's a great experience. But I love it when people trust me and they trust this big risky ask that I am putting out there for them when they respond and they come and they try it. So Deborah, in our test, in our, she is making a big ask in, our, in this song that we're reading today. She is making the case that you should stop living for yourself and to instead live for the Lord. The words that she uses are actually, uh, she says that we should offer ourselves. She does it twice in this text, but she says that you should offer your mind, you should offer your body, you should offer your soul, you should offer your service, your energy, your time, your future, it all, offer it to the Lord for his purposes, for his plans. And Deborah knows that this is a big ask, right? So she's got several reasons here that we should do this, that we should, that you should offer yourself to the Lord. Um, so the big idea here of the Deborah, of Deborah in the song is that you should offer yourself to the Lord. And you should offer yourself to the Lord for three points, okay, that she makes here. Because why should you do this? Because he makes you his gift, number one. Number two, he fights for you. He fights for his gift. And number three, he wins through his gift. So point one, he makes you his gift. Point two, he fights for his gift. And point three, he wins through his So our first point, he makes you his gift. Look with me in verse two. Deborah starts her song out with, it starts with this thanksgiving to God. And what is she thanking God for? She sings that the leaders took the lead in Israel and the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. And then she repeats the same thing in verse nine, kind of an inclusio kind of thing. Now she is excited about the people of Israel because they, after 20 years of not doing it, have offered themselves and their bodies and their lives to the Lord. For 20 years before this, they did not do this. They did the opposite. And as a result of not doing this, they were cruelly oppressed by the king of Canaan and his commander, Sisera, with his 900 chariots. And she describes what life was like for that 20 years, what, that, what life was like in verses 6 through 7. She says that the highways were abandoned, and there, were no vill- there was no village life because people were too scared to go outside. And then she, But then she arose... And through her, God roused the Israelites to trust in the Lord and to fight for him against Sisera. So we have a picture of a people basically doing nothing for 20 years. They're just kind of cowering, kind of worshiping their little gods that they had. But then through Deborah, the Lord gives them something to do. God gives them something to do, is to fight for him. 
and they offer themselves freely, many of them, again, to this role. And after they carry it out in this battle, which was the last chapter, which we'll get to, we have a picture of what village life returned looked like. Look at verse 10 and 11. So this is the present now when Deborah is singing. Village life is back. We got people riding white donkeys. We got people sitting together on rich carpets, talking together. People walking around on the, on the way, hanging out at the watering places. They're making music, and they're recounting together in the safe place. It's now a safe place, what God has done. And it would never have happened if it were not for Deborah and Barak and all these villagers of the tribes of Israel who, had not, who offered themselves up to the Lord's service. So she goes on to praise these tribes. She goes on to name the ones that showed up. She starts to name them in the next verses. She starts to praise these tribes of Israel that showed up for the battle, starting here at the end of verse 11. And I'll read slowly through verse 18. This is the muster. This is like the muster of those who have assembled, what I'm about to read. So verse 11, um, then down to the gates. So the battle's about to start. They're mustering up so they can start the battle. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnants of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley. Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir, marched down the commanders. And from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley, they rushed at his heels. All right, so Israel is made up of these 12 tribes. And here we have four and a half tribes that have shown up to the battle. We've got Ephraim, Benjamin, Zebulun, Issachar, and Machir, which is a city in uh, eastern Manasseh. But as we go, so these guys are all getting, like, named. Like, hey, you guys, this is amazing. You guys offered yourselves. But as we keep going, the next part, let's read a little bit more. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds, Reuben, to hear the whistling for the flocks? So they should be hearing the whistle to the call to battle, but they're sitting around with the sheep, listening for the whistle for the sheep. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landing. So here we have Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher. And Gilead is eastern, eastern Manasseh. And these three and a half tribes decided they're not going to show up. They're going to stay home. They're going to take care of themselves. They're going to mind their own business and decide not to attend. And they never show up. So they not, at the end of the day, they not only don't get the glory, but they also get called out and are immortalized forever as flakes. <laughs> They're totally unreliable. So then going on, verse 18, in contrast to Zebulun, Zebulun is a people who risk their lives to death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. So here we have these two, Zebuluners especially getting called out because they risked their lives to the death. So here's what Deborah is getting at. She is thanking God for the gift of these tribes, these people. They are the gift. They are the gift because they showed up. And here's where it supplies the rest. You are a gift. You are a gift. I'm talking to you. You are a gift to God's people. If you 
when we show up and serve them. If you show up, God works through you. God blesses others through you. As you offer your services, as you offer your, um, your service to his people as his gift, then God blesses. He makes you a gift to his people. And if you don't show up, you're useless. That's what she's saying here. If you don't show up, you're useless. Show up, you are a gift. Show up because you are a gift and be a gift. And this is what, and then you will be a blessing. So Deborah wants her listeners to show up and offer themselves for service. The only way that you can be a gift, like these people that showed up for the battle, is by showing up. If you don't show up, if you stay home, you're not a gift. Now, I'm not just talking about coming to worship on Sunday. I'm talking about showing up in people's lives, showing up to serve other people that need your service, people that need help. Now, I'm going to go take a hard left turn, and you guys are going to be like, where are we talking about this for? But you'll see, it'll come back to it. Okay, so the New Testament equivalent to what we're talking about here would be the concept that you've probably heard of, of spiritual gifts. Um, in English, stay with me for one second, okay? In English, the word gift has two meanings. It has come to have two meanings, okay? The first gift is an undeserved thing that you give someone. It's a present, right? God gives the gift, for example. God gives the gift of his son. He gives the gift of salvation. It's an undeserved favor. It's an undeserved thing that he gives us. It's a present. That's the first meaning, okay? Stay with me. The second meaning of gift is like, um, is a special ability. So for example, my wife has the gift of uh, cooking. She has a lot of gifts, but that's one of them that comes to my mind. Um, I have the gift of Tetris-like packing in the trunk when we go on road trips. It's amazing. I wish you could all experience my gift. <laughs> um, and knowing the way that God has made us, knowing these special abilities, these special things, that, the ways that God has made us, um, this is really helpful, you know, to help us know where to jump in to serve people. Um, but in the New Testament, the Greek word for gift doesn't mean that. The, in the New Testament, the Greek word means gift, like a present, a gift that you give someone that doesn't deserve it. Okay, so look at, for example, in Ephesians chapter four, here's one place where um, Paul talks about this. He says, when he, Jesus, when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So he gives us gifts, presents, right? This is talking about presents, not abilities. He's giving us presents. And what is the gifts that he gives to us, his church? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gives these people to be a blessing to the church. So Paul is saying that Jesus gives gifts to his church. And the gifts are not special abilities. They are people as they are fulfilling the role and function of service, whatever that might look like. Here it's apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The gift is the person. These people, as they are fulfilling these serving roles, are gifts to the church. And you, as you serve the church, you are a gift to the church. You are very important. You are a gift to the church. We're going to come back to spiritual gifts in a minute. Um, but coming back to Deborah's song, Deborah is praising God for the gift of these villagers who stepped into the role. What was their spiritual gift? 
What was their spiritual role? Soldier. They stepped into this role. They were a spiritual gift to the church, to Israel, as they fulfilled this role. They stepped into this role. Now, here's where it applies to us, to you. You are a gift to the church, to God's people. As you serve, as you find, as you, at you here's the thing. You find your purpose, you find out who you are through serving other people, through being this gift to others. There comes a time where uh, many people ask this question, who am I? Usually happens around college or after, you know, maybe before or after college, around that time. Who am I anyway? What is my purpose? Um, and then they go to Korea to teach English. Um, but we find out who we really are as we serve others and through serve him. And to be clear, serving God almost always looks like serving another person, another real life person. Serving God looks like serving other people. You don't only find your purpose, you don't only find your purpose, you live it out as you serve him by serving others. As you more and more stop acting like these three and a half tribes that stayed home, who only cared about themselves, who only cared about their own family, who only cared about their own tribe, and live for others, like Zebulun, who risked it to the death, <laughs> for others. Um, there are several places in the New Testament that have lists of what this service looks like, what these roles look like, and all of them are different. Um, some of them are more formal, these, uh, these roles. Some of them are more um, informal. Um, a formal one would be like shepherd or apostle. But there's a lot of informal service, too. There's hospitality, there's helps, there's mercy, there's giving, and many more. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, even the ones that are in the New Testament. They're all service, they're all ministry, they're all other-focused, they're all neighbor-loving. Deborah wants her listeners going forward to remember this day and be on, remember this day of this battle when all these tribes stepped up, they filled in this role, and God did this miraculous thing. And he wants us, she wants us to be on the lookout for where is the need? Where is the empty role so that I can fill it with myself? And God will utilize me as a gift for his people. You are a gift. In Deborah's context, it was obvious. She told them what the role was. She said, hey, this role of soldier is empty. We need this. And fill it. And Deborah says, come be a gift to God's people. Now, where is a place, if you're a gift, as you fill this uh, service uh, role, where is, a, where is a place, and maybe we could be thinking about it this week, where God has called you to be a gift to his people or to people that aren't yet his people, but they will be? Where has he called you to show hospitality, to have people to your house, for example? Where has he called you to make um, outsiders feel like insiders? by welcoming them and showing hospitality? Where is a place to be generous? Where is a place to show mercy, to be recklessly forgiving with reckless race, reckless grace? Where has God called you to speak the truth in love? Where has God called you to help? Just simply help. Somebody needs help and you can help them. Where has God called you to be a gift? But he doesn't just make us his gifts. Our second point is that you should offer yourself to the offer yourself to him because he makes you his gift, but also he fights for his gift. Okay? Read with me in uh, verses 19 through 20. The kings came 
So the, everybody's mustered up for battle, and then the, this is the battle happening. Finally, it's finally the battle is happening, okay? So it says, the kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Taanach by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept the them, the dead bodies, away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horses' hooves with the galloping of his steeds. Um, so this battle happens. I've lost my place. So this battle happens, and what happens is um, they go out to battle, and the Lord fights for them. All these, all these tribes are mustering, and we get, some more we get some more details from this battle that we didn't get from the previous chapter. Remember that Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. And according to verse 8, how many weapons did Israel have? Zero. Zero weapons versus 900 chariots of iron. But what we learn here in this text is that God sent a huge storm that just mucked up all the tires. They all got, you know, mud and all got stuck in the mud. And the chariots were completely useless. Deborah sings of this flash flood and then the Kishon River, the Kishon Creek. There's this huge storm that happens. And then the Kishon, which is a wadi, which is like, it, it's dry all the time unless there's a rain. And then it's like a flash flood. And the Kishon Creek wadi uh, swept all the dead bodies away as the soldiers were all like discombobulated. They didn't know what was going on. And they were getting slaughtered by the surprise by the Israel army that came out of nowhere. And this is how Israel prevailed over Sisera. As they stepped into their roles of service, the Lord fought for them. He fights for his gift. He empowers his gift. Now, let me set the scene that we just read a little bit more, okay? Let's remember a couple of things, okay? First of all, Israel has no warriors, right? They have been subjugated for 20 years. There's nobody of fighting age that's been trained. So they have no fighters. These are all just regular villagers that have taken on this role as soldiers. Second, remember that they are up a they're up against a battle-hardened, trained warriors These, uh, the, the, from, the, from Jabin's army. They were up against the equivalent of companies and companies of tanks, of you know, the modern-day, the, the equivalent of what tanks would have been. And also remember, half of the tribes have not shown up. Half of the people that should be fighting are not there. They should not have won. This is the point. Israel's army should not have won. And then... He gives two more examples. He gets, talks about Meroz as we go through the sex. So he goes, look with me in verse 23. He's gonna talk, Deborah's talking about this town that never showed up for the battle. She says, curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So apparently in this battle, so uh, Israel routed these, uh, the Canaan army and then they're running. And then the thing that they have to do right now is kill all these soldiers before they can regroup or come back together. And Meroz apparently decided they're not gonna help at all. They're gonna stay in their little town and they're not gonna help Israel. And they get a curse in this. And they're remembered forever and they're cursed in this song. Um, and then, this is contrast, cursed Meroz. And then what's the next verse? Blessed be Jael. Blessed, most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. If you were here uh, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Richard preached on this, um, you remember that Jael was all alone in her tent. 
And then the commander of the army comes by, and what does she do? She goes out and she convinces him, come into my tent, Sisera, I'll take care of you. Come on, come into my tent. And so I'll hide you in here. So she hides him, she gives him some milk, and then we'll read what happens. Verse 25, he asked her for water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. That would have hurt through the temple. Verse 27, between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. I love that thing. Now again, she should not have won. This should not have happened. This is the commander of the army versus some random woman in a tent all by herself. And but also, this guy's M.O. is pretty bad. He does really bad things, we'll see in a minute, with women that he captures or women that he goes up against. So we have this evil commander of the army of Canaan versus this tent-dwelling woman, and she prevails in the battle. And she too, like the Israelites, she should not have won. The Israelite army should not have won. Jael should not have won. And what is it that they all have in common, okay? Jael and the army of Israel. First of all, they're weak and they're absolutely unequipped. They're weak and they're absolutely unequipped. Secondly, they should not have won because, um, oh, second, they should not have won, right? That's what links them together. And third, the most important thing, this is Deborah's point here. They, this is what links them together. They showed up. They should not have won, but they showed up. Here is an opportunity to serve the Lord, to serve Israel, and they showed up. Despite being unequipped, despite being weak, despite having all the odds against them. And how does God respond when they simply show up? He fights for his gift. He fights for them. He empowers them. They showed up, they filled this needed role, this needed ministry, and God fought for them. He gave them the victory. You should offer yourself to serve the Lord because when you do, he fights for you. And there is a great, there's a great place, there's a great, um, it's good to know, He loves fighting for us, empowering us. Um, I'll give an example. One example from the Bible is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Um, I always imagine Paul like making these great speeches, going out, but Paul was actually a bad speaker. Paul was not a good speaker. Uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, even, I should have a slide for this. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you, in all things. So he admits it, that he's a bad speaker in this text. He's unskilled in speaking. And I don't think he's being humble here because he says, um, I'm, I'm unskilled in speaking, but I'm not unskilled in knowledge. So it's not like he's doing a bragging thing here. He's like, just, this is how it is. I'm unskilled in speaking. Okay, you got me, guys. So his opponents were also, they were getting on to him about this too. They would talk, talk behind his back. And first, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, they said, his, later, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. And he never defends himself there. He's like, yeah, I guess they're right. And then one more time, 1 Corinthians 2, he says to the Corinthians, the first time he met them, he says, um, remember guys, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. So Paul is saying that he was stepping into this role, this ministry of apostle or evangelist, however he was to these uh, Corinthians. And he was scared, and he was weak, and he was trembling, and he was a terrible speaker. I imagine it being like, believe in Jesus, guys. I don't know what, but it was really bad, whatever he was doing. And the spirit came and showed up and it was a powerful manifestation of the spirit's work through this weak person. He trusted that the Holy Spirit would show up and do his work as Paul stepped in to this role of service, of preaching the gospel of Jesus. And again, you see it all throughout the Old Testament. How many times do God's people, how many times is Israel surrounded, outnumbered, outgunned, and they just trust the Lord, show up, fight the battle, and there's a crazy miracle happens, and the, the Spirit is at work in that battle. When you show up to serve God's people, to be a gift to them, to commit to them through your service, God will always show up and do things that you never imagined. You don't know the adventure that awaits you when you serve other people, when you serve people in his church, when you serve people that need help. And you don't know the way that you are going to be a blessing because you are a gift as you serve. And he fights for his gift. He fights for you. The servant, serving out of your um, like abilities and talents, this has its place. But at the end of the day, we don't look inward to find where we should serve. We don't look, oh, I'm strong here, I'm gonna do this. It's whatever God puts in my way, whatever God puts out there for me to do, whatever is, he opens my eyes to, this is a place for me to serve. You don't have to wait to figure out what you're good at. It's helpful, though, sometimes. But just ask God to show you places and people to serve. And he will take your weak, awkward, um, trembling, unsteady hand, the work of your hand, and bless it. If you're doing this to serve him, he will fight for you, his gift, and he will bless the work of his hand. My last short point, you should offer yourself to serve the Lord because he makes you his gift. He fights for his gift. And finally, he wins through his gift. Look with me at verse 28. This is my favorite part of the song. <coughs> verse 28 to the end. So Jael has just dispatched Sisera, you know, uh, Tempeg through the head. <laughs> but now Deborah does something surprising. She starts talking junk about Sisera's mom. And I always thought that maybe this was like a fantasy or something that Deborah's making, a, making up a story. But remember, she's a prophet. So it seems like God revealed this to her, that this actually happened. So Sisera is dead, and mom's like, when, when's he coming? Where is he? So mom's waiting for him to come home from the battle. In verse 28, uh, Deborah sings this song. <laughs> Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot? So at this point, you're like, dang, Deborah, that's kind of harsh. You're going after his mom like this. Leave the mom alone. But uh, then things take a dark turn in verse 29. And 30, her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answereth herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera? Spoil of dyed materials? And she's really into these materials. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So what is consoling this mom as she waits for her son, who she is fearing might have died in the battle? What's consoling her is the thought that my son is late. Oh, it must be because he's sexually violating someone right now and stealing all this stuff from me. It warms my heart, this mother. It's messed up and dark and really gross. 
Compare this to the heart of Deborah, the other mother figure in this song. Now, I'm not sure why this is exactly here. Uh, my best guess is that the listener to this song is going to come away knowing that real evil was defeated that day. That a mother would be consoling herself with these thoughts that this was normal for this nation points to a wicked and evil, evil generation, evil nation, right? <clears throat> and Deborah wants his listeners to know that it is through offering the, the very mundane offering of your time, your energy, your money, your emotional energy in serving others that don't deserve it, that is how evil is destroyed. The mundane service and love of people here in this church, other Christians, and other people that don't deserve it. Even people that are in the church that don't deserve it. Stepping into a place and, of a servant and serving, that is what led to the defeat of Sisera and all this evil that we see coming out of this woman's mouth. Sorry, I got COVID like two weeks ago going to summer conference, second year in a row, and my throat is still killing me. just inhaled some water. <coughs> so God wins, and evil is defeated through his gift, which is y'all, which is you. It's the same today. Paul tells the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 16, it's this really interesting image. He says to the church, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love this image. God will crush Satan under your feet. Who's doing the crushing here? God will crush him under your feet. It's God crushing Satan and his power through us, his church, as we live out our mission of serving him. The Lord wins through his gift, which is you. And you know what's kind of crazy about this whole thing? All these people do not deserve it. You know what's crazy is that guess who got to, all these tribes that didn't even do anything, they get to share in the victory. They get, they get the, uh, the, um, re the reward, right? They don't have Sisera on, his, on them the whole time. These people that have lived up till now only for themselves, God turned toward them. For 20 years, they've been li living toward them. God took the initiative, and he moved toward them while they were only caring about themselves. He saved them through sending a hero, Deborah, who reminded them that God cared for them and loved them while they were bad, while they were worshiping other gods, and only caring about themselves. And God made God makes this same turn towards you while you are selfish, while you only care about yourself. Uh, we may not be as blatant about it as Sisera or Sisera's mom, but we are all naturally, hopelessly lovers of yourself, like Meros, shut up in their house, only caring about themselves. Being a gift to others, you know, it sounds like a good idea, but only because I think I'll get something out of it at the end of the day, right? But God makes a turn toward people like us. He came to a selfish people loving themselves, and he loved them with a selfless love that went, he sent his son as a gift to die for us. Jesus is the gift that makes us gifts. He gave up his son as a gift to us. He took the punishment for our complete self-centeredness. And we've gone, uh, we've gone into this in other texts, and we sang it in our songs today, today but it's only as these people and as we ourselves trust and know and trust that God has saved me from the punishment that I deserve, that I can live a selfless life, serving other people, giving up, sacrificing my body, my time for other people. 
that I can love other people with that same love. CBCs, this week, let's draw on God's gift to us in the life and the death and the resurrection of his son to be a gift to those he has put in your life. He makes you a gift, he fights for his gift, and he wins through his gift. Let's pray. Father, we pray you send us out this week. Open our eyes to the places where we can step in and serve you and serve other people. Give us hearts that, like Deborah, go out to others when they don't even deserve it. And we pray you would change us and make us more and more like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.